0: Hey, pull out that little shell right there, okay? All of the the verses we're gonna look at are in here. It's a place for you to write down notes. And those of you that are visiting with us uh, for the first time, or maybe you came back after Easter, we're glad you're you're here. Uh, Obviously, we're beginning a brand new series here at Big Valley Grace called The Fruit That Makes a, a Marriage Great, which is obviously a series about marriage. But I guarantee you that everybody... Uh, whether you're married or, or single, we'll get something out of it because it's, it's probably more a, a, a series about relationships. And we all have relationships. Our theme verse is Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, which says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, and against such things there is no law. We want you to know that Pastor Scott Butler today really hurt his back bad, he, he, he's home, I mean, it's, it was really bad. We know that the TVs underneath there aren't working, the TVs out in the hallways aren't working, because we have just had a whole lot of interesting things go down today. And uh, in fact, we weren't even sure the jumbotrons were gonna work here, and I, I wonder if there might be some forces at work that don't want you to have a great marriage. And, and yet, we're, 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 we're pressing forward. I, I, I want everybody to, to memorize this verse. In fact, I want us to say it out loud together. Here we go, one, two, three. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, each weekend, what we're gonna do is, Lord willing, we're gonna look at um, each of these pieces of fruit, if you will, and see how they might play into uh, having a healthy marriage, or having a healthy home, having healthy friendships, uh, uh, whatever all those relationships might be. Now, let me start by by saying, for some of you, you're hoping for a, a miracle tonight. I know, I've received a lot of emails. And a lot of texts, a lot of people have posted things on my Facebook, the little private section uh, about tonight. Your, your marriage is dead, or maybe it's, it's dying, and you're hoping that this one message tonight is going to somehow make everything better, and it might. The God that we sing to, the God that we give to, the God that we worship, the God that I believe in can do miracles. Something miraculous might happen tonight. And I know some of you are, are, are praying that way. But it might not. There may not be a miracle that happens in your life tonight or in your marriage tonight, but I guarantee you that if you'll listen, if you'll really listen to what I'm I'm saying, and then you actually put into practice what you hear, your your marriage will change. It'll change for the better, I guarantee it. You, You may have a miracle tonight, and I'm praying that maybe some of you might, but you might not. But I guarantee you, some of the things that we're gonna look at are are gonna make a difference in your life. In fact, if you are a uh, married couple, and I know some of your spouses can't be here, they were working or whatever. Uh, If you're married, I want all the married folks just to stand up, okay? Everybody who's married, stand up, okay? Whole bunch of you. Now, if your spouse happens to to be here, just reach over, grab her hand or his hand, or put your arm around her or whatever it is, and some of you are going, oh man, what is this? (laughs) (laughs) Father, I pray, Lord, that you would um, be at work in these folks' life, be at work in mine. Lord, pour out your favor on on each of these marriages. Lord, maybe there would be a miracle tonight in one of them, maybe two of them, maybe ten of them, Lord, I don't know. Speak to each of them in a special way. And I pray this in your name. Amen. All right, everybody else stand up. Okay, everybody else stand up. If you're standing up, okay, everybody else, okay? So so if you're married, you're sitting down. Now I want everybody to, to, to stand up. So everybody else that's standing, you're you're probably single. Maybe you're you're dating, maybe you're engaged, uh, uh, maybe you're divorced. I, I don't know why you're single, but you're single, okay? Now, here's the deal. The statistics say you'll, you'll probably get married if you're not married. Statistically speaking, you, you'll get married, maybe married again. We know that there are some people who God uh, creates and empowers to, to never be married, but that's a very small percentage. Most of you standing now will probably get married at some moment, okay, and I want to pray for you. Listen to me, listen. Choose Wisely. For you, the whole wedding, marriage series, you can write that down, and you won't hear anything more important than that. Choose wisely. Because if you don't choose wisely, let me tell you something, all these principles won't matter. But if you choose wisely, listen to me, and you apply these principles in your marriage, you'll be, you'll have a great marriage. You'll be married 42 years. But it doesn't matter all the love, joy, peace, none of that matters if you don't choose wisely. Father, thank you for these that are standing. Some are young and in junior high and high school and they're years off, some are in college, some are older, some are divorced. I don't know what their scenario is, God, but the chances are they're gonna get married. And I pray, Lord, that as we walk through this, this might be the litmus test by which they choose who they would say those two words that literally change their life forever, I do, too. So God, have your way with us, and I pray this in your name, amen. Amen, okay, grab a seat. Now, what I want to do is, I I, I want to begin by reading a a great story that Jesus told in Luke chapter 12. And what I need to do in this first one, uh, we're going to talk about love, obviously, is I need to lay a theological framework for all of this. Love is kind of an all-encompassing thing. And there's a story in Luke chapter 12 that goes like this. Jesus said that there was a rich man whose land produced a bountiful harvest. He asked himself, what shall I do? For I don't have space to store my harvest. In other words, God was blessing him so much that he didn't have room for it all. So he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build larger ones. There I shall store all my grain and other goods and I will say to myself, now as for you, you have so many good things stored up for you for many years. Rest, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to this man, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded of you. And the things that you've stored up in all of your barns and all of that, to whom will they belong? Thus will it be for the one who stores up treasure for himself but is not rich in what matters to God. And the question you gotta ask yourself is this, what is that? What, what really matters to God? You see, this guy, all he thought about was himself. It, it never even entered into his mind that the reason that God had blessed him with so much stuff was that he might somehow give it away uh, to, to those less fortunate, that he might be a blessing to others. All he thought was about was meeting his own needs. I, I don't wanna give my stuff away. He said, I'm just gonna build bigger barns. I'll put my stuff into mini storage or whatever. And God says, you, f- you fool. You're rich in all the stuff. You got lots of houses and lots of cars, and you got barns full of stuff and mini storages full of furniture and stuff. But you're not rich in what really matters. And the question you've got to ask yourself is, What is that? Well, Galatians chapter 5 says this For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus. Okay, in other words, when we become a Christian, when we become a follower of Christ, there's no benefit in being circumcised or being uncircumcised. What's important is faith. What's important is is that your trust in God, your belief in God, expressing itself in love. Right here, we get a little taste of something that's important to God. That somehow, you as a follower of Jesus Christ, those of you that know Jesus, you know, he lives inside of your heart, you were just singing songs to him and you just, you know, gave an offering to him and and all that kind of stuff. What matters to him is somehow your faith in him translates into a life of love. Love. One version says, if you're a follower of Christ Jesus, all that matters is your faith that makes you love others. In other words, God says what matters in life isn't your accomplishments or your fame or your wealth or how much you've stored up in barns or banks or whatever. What matters in life is your faith, is your relationship with Jesus Christ somehow makes you a better lover, a better lover of God and a better lover of people, and more specifically, a a better lover of your spouse. You see, sometimes you can read the Scriptures and you can think in this grand, nebulous idea. Well, God wants us to be better lovers. He does. He wants you to love Him, and He wants you to love others, but obviously that's got to mean that you're a better lover of your spouse. Somehow being a follower of Jesus Christ ought to, Um, translate into maybe being the best husband on the planet or the best wife on the planet. Listen, if your relationship with Jesus Christ doesn't make you a better lover of your your spouse, (laughs) something's wrong. Something is seriously wrong. Dr. MacArthur said it like this, saving faith proves its genuine character by works of love. In other words, if you truly know the Lord, if you've truly invited Jesus Christ into your life, something will happen to you. You will become a better lover. And if you don't, then maybe the decision that you made for Christ really wasn't genuine. Because when you invite God into your life, who is love, and we'll talk more about this, it ought to do something to you, right? It ought to make you a, 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 a better lover. Listen to what God's word says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. The Holy Spirit fills Paul, and the Holy Spirit has Paul pen these words If I could speak all the languages of the earth and of angels, but I didn't love others, I'd only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but I didn't love others like my spouse, I'd be nothing. If I gave everything I had to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love my spouse, others, I would have gained nothing And then he says in verse 13, three things are going to last forever, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. The first thing Paul says is this, God says, if you don't live a life of love, your words are worthless. Verse one says, if I could speak all the languages of the earth and of angels, right? Man, if if I could just, you know, really be a great communicator, doesn't mean a thing. Doesn't mean anything. If I don't love. Words without love are just noise. Words without love are just empty. Words without love are are worthless. People today and throughout history are really impressed by great speakers or great communicators. we love to hear somebody that can really inspire us. But God says, that doesn't impress me at all. I don't care how great a communicator you are. What I care about is whether or not you have a love for people. What I care about is whether you love your spouse or not. You love those that you're in relationship with. The second thing Paul said was this God says, if you don't live a life of love, your knowledge is worthless. Man, if I had the gift of prophecy, I could understand all of God's secret plans and I possessed all knowledge, you know, man. I could tell you all the things about God and His Word and all that kind of stuff. And man, if I had the faith that I could move a mountain, woo! but I didn't love, I'd be nothing. Your knowledge is worthless if you don't live a life of love. And the last thing he said was that if you don't live a life of love, your giving is worthless. He says, if I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, in other words, you became a martyr. Man, uh, uh, that, that sacrificial giving, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. One version says it like this, no matter what I say or what I believe or what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. And those are profound words. You've all heard them at weddings, right? And you you never really listen to them, who does? You're just waiting to get to the food. (laughs) You're just waiting for the thing to get over with. Man, can we get to the food? But those are some weighty words in the scripture, especially for those of us that name the the name of Jesus. You can rack up all kinds of great accomplishments. You can build a billion-dollar company. You can get your picture on the cover of Time magazine. You can win the Nobel Peace Prize, but the Bible says it isn't worth much in God's eyes if you don't love. Hey, you got a great business? Well, that's fantastic, but God didn't care if you're not loving your spouse. Hey, you're you're a good communicator. God says, I don't care how well you can communicate if you're not loving your spouse, if you're not loving those that you're in relationship with. These are just some weighty, weighty words. Paul, John, and Jesus said some profound things about love. Paul said that love is the greatest. He said in verse 13, three things are going to last forever, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. Now, why is love the greatest? Well, it's the greatest because it's going to last forever. You see, when you get to heaven, you're not going to need any faith or hope because you're going to be in the very presence of God. But when you get to heaven, heaven's going to be filled with love. Why? Because the Bible says that God is love. So when we finally get to heaven someday, we're going to be in God's presence. We're not going to need any faith anymore. We'll be there. We don't need any hope. I'm oh, I'm hoping for the day I get to be with You're already going to be there. But love will be there. Because the Bible says that God is love. John said this. John says love proves that you're a Christian. In 1 John chapter 4, it says, dear friends, let us continue to love one another like your spouse. For love comes from God. He is love. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God. That's pretty weighty. That's a weighty thought, that somehow your love proves that you really are a follower of Jesus Christ, because if love lives inside of you, and God is love, then it's going to manifest itself in love, and certainly it's going to be love for our spouse, Jesus said that love is your greatest responsibility. Matthew chapter 22, it says, somebody came and said, teacher, Jesus, what's the most commandment in the law of Moses? And Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. Jesus said that love was your greatest responsibility, that you would love God. But then Jesus said, a second is equally important, that you love your neighbor. You can put spouse in there, that you love your spouse as yourself, that you love those that you're in relationship with as yourself. The entire law, all of the law in the Old Testament, all the demands of the prophets, you can take what the great prophet Noah said, Elijah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, you put them all together. Everything hinges on love. That you love God and you love other people, your spouse. You, you love yourself to the degree that you fed yourself today, you know what, you need to make sure your spouse has food. That's the way you love her, or him. You loved yourself to the degree you made sure you had clothes on, right? You need to make sure your spouse has got clothes. This idea of love, Jesus said, it's, it's the greatest responsibility you have. Look, one day you're gonna stand before God when you die and God's gonna evaluate your life. And when he evaluates your your life, he's not gonna look at your bank account. He's not gonna look at at your list of accomplishments. He's not gonna look at your grade point average. He's not gonna look at all your sports trophies. He's not gonna look at your endorsements or your resume. God's gonna evaluate your life on one thing, your love. Did, Did you love me, number one? And if so, did you really love others? Did you love your spouse? God's going to look at your life and expose to you, because he already knows it, whether or not you truly loved him and whether you truly loved others, which obviously includes your spouse. The Bible says this in Ephesians chapter 5, husbands love your wives. And I wish it just stopped there. Because if it stopped there, then guess what? We got to define it. See, so we could determine what that looks like. But Jesus knew us. He knew us, men. He wasn't going to leave it up to us to define what love looked like. He says, this is what I want. I want you to love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it. Jesus was brutally beaten for the church. Jesus gave up his life for the church. Listen to me. Jesus came because we had a need. And Jesus said, your need is gonna trump my own. God says, men, that's how you're to love your wife. I know you have needs, men. And I'm going to talk about your needs in the the midst of this series. But God basically says, I want you to be like Jesus and blow off your own needs. And you let your wife's needs trump yours. You put her needs ahead of your own. In fact, here's the deal. You have to be willing to actually die for her. That's weighty. That's Jesus so loved us that he gave up his life for us. And God says, men, that's what it looks like. Someday, guys, you're gonna give an account to God as to how you loved your spouse. Loving God and loving others, your spouse, are two of the greatest things you can do with your life. But what is it? (laughs) What exactly is love? Well, I've shared with you a number of times that in my opinion, it might be one of the most overused words in the English language. I mean, we use it to refer to all kinds of stuff, right? Like, I love God, I love my wife and kids, I love my cat, I love pizzas, I love burritos. Huh, that's weird. But we use the same word, don't we? Most of us have written and received love letters, right? Most of us have special love songs that we like, right? In fact, we're playing some here. Uh, uh, Last night I posted on my little Facebook page, I was sitting in my backyard, And John, you don't ever look at the Facebook stuff, but when I got married, got married in Santa Barbara, a little prayer chapel that only held about, I don't know, 50 people or so. And John and Francie were there, and John did the music. And I was listening to uh, James Taylor, Something in the Way She Moves. And John Byron was there, and he played that song as my wife made her way down the aisle with her father, who that was one of the last times he really walked. And it was just, I don't know, what you they, four rows? I mean, it wasn't that long, but it took quite a while. And so I had that playing and sitting out in my backyard, and I was reading, and I played it again, then I played it again, and I called my wife out, and, and I turned it up real loud, and I said, okay, let's recreate the moment. And there she was. She came out of the little sliding glass door, you know, doing this, man. It was unbelievable. It was unbelievable. And that's um, uh, like one of our favorite love songs, and, you know, we all have them. It's weird how a, a love song can you know get you right back to you know someplace really really cool. And that's what happened to us as we were thinking about our, our favorite love songs. Those of us that are are married, we have a, a love story, don't we? One of the things that I enjoyed about all these interviews that you're gonna see over the next few weeks is I, I got to hear their love stories. Now, obviously we had to shorten them all up, but you know, I was with them for half an hour, and it was just unbelievable to hear their stories. And you got a little taste of it. You know, I saw Nancy when she was young, and she had these glasses on, and yeesh, yeesh. And then all of a sudden, you know, I come back from the Navy, and she doesn't have glasses. She got contact. Woo! That's what I'm talking about, man, right? I mean, just think back to when you first saw your, your wife. You first saw your husband. I don't know how how it all went down. Maybe it didn't go down very well. Maybe it was like that. But there came a moment where it was like, whoa, whoa. One of the great prophets said that man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart, right? Well, the first half of that verse is every bit as true as the second half. We do look on the outward appearance. You can call that shallow. You can call it anything you want. But we tend to look at somebody from the outside, and that might be the first thing that gets our attention. <laughs> you know, and, th- and th- then you got to start doing a little bit of research because you want to choose wisely. A lot of good-looking guys out there. A <laughs> lot of, lot of good-looking gals out there who are total losers. No joke. So that's that's part of the whole thing. You know, oh, you're looking on the outside. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Have coffee a few times ago. No. I'm going to choose wisely. I'm not going to just choose because they're hot. <laughs> Most marriages that begin with, hey, we married because we thought each other was hot, they're on to their second or third marriage. But what is love? Here are some of your thoughts on, uh, I, I'm posting some questions, and if you wanna become my friend, you know there was, I don't know, well over 100 just on the feed, and I don't know, I had another 100 just on my private little thing. It was just interesting to hear your thoughts on, on love. One man said, love is kinda like one of my bungee cords <laughs> that I use to strap down the stuff on my work truck. They're flexible, they're reliable, they're strong and durable. They're faithful, and best of all, they keep things I care about safe, and it doesn't bother them if I don't receive credit, and it doesn't bother them if they don't receive credit for the job they do. And I read that and went, now that's interesting. <laughs> that guy equated love to a bungee cord. I, it, it kind of works, I, I, I think. One woman said love is complicated. Another man said, When I was diagnosed with diabetes 10 years ago, my wife told me, You're not a diabetic, we're a diabetic. And I saw them walk in here a little bit ago, sitting somewhere right up there. A 10 year old said, Love is when you only have one of your most favorite cookies left and you still give half of it to your friend because you want them to be as happy as you are. That's pretty good, isn't it? John Lennon said, all you need is love. Right? Love's all you need. Then they broke up. Uh, (laughs) I'm not sure how that works, but that, you know, there's a good line in a song. Pat Benatar said, love is a battlefield. And some of you are going, yeah, she's right. right. (laughs) Frank Sinatra said, love is a many splendid thing. you, last night, I was sitting in my backyard and we were going to go to a West Side Story and thought back, John, my kid, man, I was listening to that music and I think Frank was on to something. It's just, it is a many splendid thing, but it can be a battlefield. It can be that at times. Tina Turner said, love is nothing but a secondhand emotion. But <laughs> well, what does God say about love? There's lots of stuff out there about love. And it's kind of like nailing jello to a tree. I mean, you know, you know, next week we're talking about joy if God doesn't come back. That's more targeted. Peace, patience. We'll, we'll get more specific as the series goes on. But this first one, love, You just, okay, what is this thing? What does God have to say about love? Well, he's got a lot to say about it. Number one, God commands you to love. And some of these, you've got to put your thinking cap on. In 2 John, it says, love means living the way God commanded us to live. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is this, live a life of love. He commanded that we love. Living a a life of love isn't optional. It's commanded. God has commanded us to love one another. God has commanded you to love your spouse. Which means, if you don't love your spouse, you're out of fellowship with God. You're sinning. Which means, maybe some of you have some repenting to do tonight. You don't get an option here. God says, love. I command you to love. Well, I don't don't really want to. Who cares what you think? God's not in heaven going, well, you know, let me hear your story. Oh, boy, yeah, I'll give you, the, I'll give you an exemption on that one. <laughs> no exemptions. He commands you to love. Jesus said in John 13, I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another, like your spouse, will prove to the world that you're my, dis- my disciples. Let me tell you one of the most crummiest testimonies is when two people who claim to know the Lord divorce. You see, Jesus said, it's your love that shows the world. It's the big, it's the biggie. It's the big characteristic. It's what tells the world that you're one of my followers. So what does it tell the world when two people who, supposedly no christ don't love each other anymore i think our enemy really likes it when we divorce i think he goes yeah yeah there's another great testimony right down the tubes beloved not only does god command us to love but all but god also says that love is one of the great distinguishing marks of his followers now Because love is commanded, that brings up an interesting thought, and that's this. If God commands us to love, it can't be a feeling. Because God would never command a feeling because you can't command feelings. Commanding a feeling is like trying to, you know, command the the wind to stop blowing. Mom, dad, next time your child gets all upset and is crying and is frustrated, I want you to go up to him and say, I command you to be happy. you see how well that goes. <laughs> I've tried it. <laughs> and unfortunately, I've tried it more than once. It shows you how, how dumb I am. Now, without a doubt, love creates a feeling. Love produces a feeling. It causes feelings, but love isn't a feeling. And for those of you that think it is, you've got a very shallow understanding of love, which is why this series is probably going to be really important for you. This brings me to number two God says that love is a choice. Colossians chapter 3 says, and over all these virtues, and he lists all these virtues, he says, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. God says put on love because it's a choice you make. It's like um, you get up in the morning and you take your shower and you go to the closet and there's your clothes and you have a choice as to what you're going to put on. Maybe there's a, you have a job where you've got to you know, put on a tie, and so you're going to make a choice as to what tie you put on. And God says that's what love is. It's just like that. Every morning you make a choice as to whether you're going to put love on or not, whether you're going to obey God's command to love or not. Beloved, there have been many times because of my actions or my words or my sinfulness or whatever that I didn't deserve my my wife's love. I didn't deserve her to put on love. I didn't deserve her to go into her closet, if you will, and, and, and put it on. But because of her deep love for Jesus and because of her desire to be a doer of the word, She always chooses to put on love, whether I deserve it or not. (laughs) You know, one of the things about us, and I'll talk more about this next week, is we're all sinful people. You're a sinful person, men, and ladies, you're a sinful person, and the the two of you married each other, and now these two sinful people are all living in a house together, and then you created children, they're sinful. You just got a bunch of of sinful people in her house. And guess what? We don't all always act the way we should or we we don't always say the things we ought to say. I certainly haven't. I have given my wife plenty of reasons to go into the closet and just leave love right there. He does not deserve it. I'm sure your spouse has given you plenty of reasons why you would go into the closet see love and pull it out and start. No, Mm-mm. I'm not gonna put it on. I'm gonna choose not to love. Uh, you, you don't have to tell me your spouse has done that. You don't have to tell me you've done I know you have, the Bible says we're all sinful. I know it, I, I know. When a couple comes into my office for counseling, I don't have to ask, so listen, did one of you guys blow it? Hey, I've married, I can't even count how many people. As soon as they say I do, I I know this couple's going to screw up. They're going to blow it. They're going to do things to one another where they don't deserve their spouse's love. But God commands that we love. And he says, it's a choice that you make. And he says, I want you to put it on. I want you to put on love. Listen, when your spouse acts in a cruddy way or says cruddy things or whatever, at that moment, you got a choice to make. Do you you put on love or or, or do you leave it in the closet? When you choose to leave it in the closet, you're in trouble. You're, You're just in trouble. And some of you, you've kept love in the closet for a long time. And maybe this is the night when you go home and say, you know what, that dirty, rotten bugger doesn't deserve my love. I know but I'm gonna put it on tonight. Um, Jesus, when he came, don't be so pious to think you deserved it. You didn't deserve the second person of the Holy Trinity to come and die for you. I know some of you think you probably are worth it. But Jesus said, I love you, even in your crummy sinfulness. I love you. He put on love for you. And for some of you, you might go to that closet tonight, so to speak, and look into it and go, you know, God commands that I love, and it's a choice that I make. And you can continue to live in sin and say, I'm not gonna put it on. You can choose to do that. And your marriage is gonna... Never get better. Or you can say, you know what, tonight I'm putting it on. I'm going to put it on. Love is is giving a person what they need, not what they deserve, which is exactly what God does, right? God God doesn't give you what you deserve. If, If we all got what we deserve from God, we wouldn't be here right now, would we? We wouldn't. That's called grace, it's called love. Now, now this destroys another great myth that we all have about love, which is that most people think that love is uncontrollable. You see, we often hear phrases like, I I fell in love, like somehow they just simply stumbled into it, like it was an accident, Like, like there was this big hole in the ground, they didn't see it, and they simply fell into it, so we assume that love is uncontrollable, or we say, I just don't love him anymore. I just don't love her anymore, as if love is uncontrollable. And that's not true, because you can control love. God would not command you to love, and he wouldn't say, put it on, if it was uncontrollable, would he? You see, part of the reason why I've gotta do this message here is to set a theological framework so that you understand what real love is about. Because if you don't, and, and all you have is what Hollywood says about love, then, then you're in trouble. Listen, you can choose to put love on or you can choose to put love, you know, or leave it in the, the closet or whatever, it's a choice you make. I can't tell you how many times I've heard men or women say to me trying to justify a separation or justify a, a divorce, I just don't love him anymore or her anymore or whatever, as if it was totally out of their control. Beloved, when, when, when someone says, I don't love him anymore, or I don't love her anymore, what they're saying is, I'm making the choice not to put love on anymore. That's the choice they're making. Now, I know it makes you feel better to go, hey, I, I just don't love this person anymore. It makes you feel better. It kind of justifies what you're doing. But see, when you start talking about having a great marriage, you, you got to engage your intellect. you got to engage this thing right here. And know what the truth is. It's the truth that's going to set you free. It's the truth that's going to make your marriage great or your next marriage great. Maybe you've blown it five times and you've had five divorces and whatever. You can't do anything about that, but you can certainly sure make the next one the best one. Because you now have... Some a framework by which by which you're, you're you're operating off of. You see. Listen, the truth is, when you act in a loving way, when you don't really feel like acting in a loving way, that's actually a higher level of love than when you feel like it. You see, it's one thing to love when when you're on your honeymoon and things are going really great and you you got lots of money or whatever, but it's the real test of love is when things aren't going great in your marriage. When you're out of money, you're sick, you lost your job, you don't feel good, the pressure's on or whatever, and you choose to love in spite of how you feel. That's a higher level of love. Let me tell you something, when I know I've acted like a jerk and my wife puts on love anyway, Doesn't take me long to repent of my sin and man, it just does something amazing in our life. It's a higher expression of love when you love and your spouse doesn't deserve it. That's why God's dying on the cross is the most incredible expression of love you're ever gonna experience because none of us deserved it. Not a one of us. But he died anyway for you. Number three, God says you're to demonstrate your love. In other words, love love is a conduct. Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Talk is cheap. Let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth so we'll be confident when we stand before God. Beloved, love is a behavior. It's a way of acting. It's something you do. Love is a, a verb, if, if, if you will. Love isn't some sentimental feeling down in your gut. That might be the linguine you had tonight. And then all of a sudden you decide to marry some guy because of some sentimental feeling. You got a goosebump. I got a goosebump when I was with her. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, I mean, I just feel so warm and snuggly inside. Oh my gosh, that's a divorce waiting to happen. I'm I'm not kidding you. But that's the way all the movie's portrayed, huh? Yeah. And you bought into it, didn't you? Some of you have bought into that more than one time. Knock it off. You need to take what you're learning here tonight and say, I'm gonna apply this to my life. Don't feel guilty because one marriage ended or two or three or four. Don't feel guilty. This isn't about making you feel guilty. I didn't do about that. Let's look at this and begin to make some good decisions based on biblical truth. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, but God demonstrated his own love for us and that while we were sinners, he died for us. In other words, he put on love in spite of the fact we were crummy sinners, you see. So how do you do it? How do you build a, a life of real love? And I'm going to kind of fly th- through this. Well, this is kind of what we're going to look at over the next eight weeks. We're going to focus on joy and peace and patience and kindness and all those kinds of things if God doesn't come back. But I do wanna just give you a quick thought here today, okay? These are things you can start doing today. Number one, you gotta learn how real love acts and responds. And you have to learn it, because for the most part in our culture, Hollywood has been the source of what love looks like, or how it, you know, acts, or how it responds, right? I mean, all these actors and actresses, they're all having babies, having sex before they get married, and they're pregnant, and then they get married, or whatever. It's just this cruddy, um, um, just nothing special and sacred about sex and Marriage anymore in our culture? it's just, just crumbling. You 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 look at how you know people dress and how they flaunt their sexuality. It just isn't special anymore. You try to find a a, a, a show that isn't about all that stuff. Well, there is one out there, Duck Dynasty. <laughs> I'm <talking about> it. <laughs> Like one of my favorite shows. A hairy beards and all the stuff and the thing. And then I don't know, they pray at the end and have, when they're having dinner. And I've, I've seen them give some sex talks that have cracked me up, man. And I'm thinking, dude, it's like one of the highest rated shows on TV. I think people are just hungry for something so different than what's just being pumped at us. At, at Hollywood. So you've got you to learn what real love acts like and how it, re, how it responds. And without a doubt, 1 Corinthians 13 gives us the most unbelievable definition of how love acts and responds, and I'm going to look at it more next week. But the Bible says, here's what real love is. Love is, is patient. Love is patient. Real love is patient. God's patient with you, isn't he? And he expects that you would be patient with your spouse. Love is kind. God's God's kind to you, isn't he? And he expects that you'd be kind to your spouse. Love is not not jealous. And God's not jealous. He's not threatened by you or your success. In fact, he wants you to be successful. And he expects that you would not be jealous of your spouse, that you'd be their greatest cheerleader, that you'd rejoice when they succeed. Too often times we're just threatened by our spouse who who may, may be doing well or whatever. Love is not boastful. Love is not proud. Love is not rude. Aren't you glad God's not rude with you? In fact, he's very courteous with you. And he expects that you wouldn't be rude with your spouse. He expects that you would be courteous to your spouse. Love does not demand its own way. The the great theologian R.C. Linsky, who who said this, he said, Cure selfishness, and you have just replanted the Garden of Eden. I thought about that phrase a lot. When Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden, self, selfishness, wanting your own way replaced God. God. And real love doesn't demand its own way. Love is not irritable. In other words, it's calm. Dr. MacArthur said this, telling your spouse that you love them is not convincing if you continually get upset and angry at what they say or do. Telling your children that you love them is not convincing if you often yell at them for doing things that irritate you. Beloved, God is very calm when he deals with you and he expects that you would be calm, not irritable when you deal with your spouse. Love keeps no records of wrong. When you gave your life to Christ, Christian, God forgave you of your sin as far as the east is from the west. He threw him into the deepest sea. Done. What often happens is, you know, man, your spouse makes you mad You know what? Back in 1962. (laughs) And all of a sudden, you've kept all this stuff. You know exactly the day, the time, the moment. Love, real love, keeps no record of wrong. Love does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices when the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Christian, aren't you glad that God never gives up on you? He expects that you'd never give up on your spouse. Love never loses faith. Love is always hopeful. Love endures through every circumstance. This is how you evaluate how healthy you you are in your relationships, whether it's your relationship that you have with your spouse, your kids, your parents, or your friends, or whatever. Now, what I did was I wanted to create something for you that you could take home. And so I've got this little frame here. Put put, put that picture up. You you got it back there? You're going to get that when you leave. Okay, and basically what it says is, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, against that thing there's no law. And then what I did was I took 1 Corinthians 13 and I just said, hey, love is patient, put it all down. Okay, and then at the bottom it says here, and over all these virtues put on love. And so uh, show the one that's framed. You got that one up there? That, that, that's my picture. And you can put it on maybe your, your desk at work, guys. And that is what love looks like. And you might want to look at that and 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 go. You know what? Love is patient. Maybe your spouse has done something that's got y'all spun out. It happens. I'm sure you spin your spouse out. Maybe you just you know you 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 you're just being rude and not being courteous. I want you to be able to look at this. Maybe you put one on somewhere in your house somewhere and maybe, um, maybe God will, will use it in some way. In fact, I'll give you a way to use it here in, 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 in just a minute, okay? The second thing is you start maybe every day with a, with a daily reminder to love. I read today or, or yesterday, I think it was, that some experts say that the first 10 minutes of your day basically sets the, the course for the rest of your day. It sets the mood, if you will, for the rest of the day. So if you'll get up in the morning and say, God, I, I just want to remind myself that one of the most important things in life is to love, to love you, and to love my spouse. If you'll start each day that way, maybe have this over. Maybe one of the first things you do is look at this and say, okay, here's what love is. It's patient, it's kind, it's not jealous, it's not both, and I'm supposed to put this on. Maybe start your day just by looking at this. Maybe when you get into work, the office, look, look, look at that. Um, I'm telling you, it'll make a, a, a huge difference in your life. Um, the daily meditation page that you have, we're making it up kind of special uh, over the next eight weeks. You got to take that and maybe together as a couple, you could sit down and do that together, have a little Bible study together, Uh, sit at your chair, drink your coffee, leave the paper outside, don't, don't read, you know, the news on your smartphone, leave the TV off and say, you know what, the next eight weeks, I'm going to, I'm going to start my day with just a daily reminder of love. Number three, you need to memorize what God says about love. The Bible is filled with advice and inspiration, truths, principles on how to become a a, a greater lover of God and a greater lover of people, your spouse. The problem is, is that when you don't have any of these truths memorized and something happens that makes you want to respond in an unloving way, that's how you're going to respond. You'll simply respond in an unloving way, so it's super important to memorize what God has to say. In fact, on your daily meditation page, you have a memory verse for this week, and it's Colossians 3:14, which is, and over all these virtues, put on love. I want you to memorize this verse this week. It's on your plaque that you can take home, okay? I have a, I'm gonna end with this, this, this little illustration And I think this is what might be the the next eight weeks for you. It's a triangle, okay? Put that triangle up there. And uh, I didn't make this up, okay? I mean, this has been around for a zillion years, but I want you to see it. You got God up at the top, and then I want you to imagine you, and then there's your spouse. Okay? And and maybe that's where you're at right now. Now, I want you to imagine you and your spouse are getting closer to, to God, okay? You're... You're learning what God has to say about love. You're, you're learning how love acts and rea- you're learning how God loves you and how he reacts to you. You're learning to put on love. You're doing the daily meditation page. You're, you're, um, you're coming to the follow class if you're a new believer uh, if you're a gal, you ought to go to our women's ministries, or men's ministries. It could be Celebrate Recovery. There's lots of ministries here at Big Belly Grace that are going to um, help you uh, uh, enjoy your relationship with the Lord and deepen your walk with the Lord and retrain your mind from all the crummy worldly things that we've all learned about love, okay? Uh, uh, dedicating yourself to be here over the next eight weeks even though some of you are going, man, you really bummed me out, you know. It's okay, I'll, I'll bum you out next week too. But, but, but God's, God's working in your life. Now, now if you, are, you and your spouse are both growing in your relationship with God, look what happens. You just get closer together. You see, nobody ever comes into Pastor John Byron's office or my office or Alan Boone's office or Scott Miller's office or Bobby Fisher's office and, and they come in and they go, our marriage is falling apart, but let me tell you something, we are both so close to the Lord. <laughs> it just doesn't happen. Always either both people Or one of them just isn't growing in their faith. They're not enjoying their relationship with Jesus Christ. They're not learning and growing in what God has to say. And when one of you stop, there's always going to be a chasm between you. But when two people are walking with the Lord and they're join church together, they enjoy learning the Word of God together, they pray together, they encourage each other to go to men's ministry, women's ministry, go on the retreat, go to celebrate recovery. All of these things come to the unhurried days and all the things that we do. And we encourage each other in the Lord. Uh, those folks don't come into our office. Okay, One of the things my wife and I do all the time is we're encouraging each other. In fact, last night we were talking about the women's retreat. And I said, look, I want to make sure that I do all that I can to free you up so you can go on that retreat because I know she's going to grow closer to the Lord and the closer she gets to the Lord, the closer we're going to be. It's just just a no-brainer. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. He said, let love be your highest goal. And so we've kicked off the new series by talking about love, and hopefully I've given you a few things to chew on, think about, mull over, disagree with me if you, if you want. That's okay. But I want to make sure that you as a couple, all of the, the hosts and hostesses are going to have uh, uh, this little piece of paper for you. You can take home, and you can frame, and, and, and may this be a, a great tool in your home to remind you to, to put on love and what love really looks like. I want all of you to stand up, okay? And just close your eyes for a minute, okay? It, it could be that you're here, and right now you would say, hey, would you pray for me? And, and I, I'm gonna pray for you in a general sense. But I know that Pastor John and Pastor Scott And and, uh, there'll be a number of our elders. I think I saw Gary Erickson here and some others. They're going to be in the altar room. And and there doesn't have to be a big counseling session. It can just simply be, would you pray for our marriage? And we've got a day planned here in the future where we're going to have a special time of prayer in here during our gatherings. But maybe you want prayer tonight, and we'd love to pray for you. Come in and say, hey, man, my marriage is struggling. You heard David and Nancy Behrens on that video talk about the struggles that they have. It happens to all of us. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how long you're married. We all struggle at times. I think I saw Eldon Parker, one of our elders. He'll, he'll be in there. Let, let us pray for you. Pastor John, would you close our time now in prayer?